We've got Nick Lanner with us this morning. Nick Lanner uh, formerly was at a ministry called Liberate. Uh, our friend Tony Chavidjan, uh, his web ministry, his internet ministry from Coral Ridge Presbyterian. And uh, Nick is a graduate of Trinity School for Ministry. He uh, served in uh, the Diocese of Newark in uh, New Jersey and then went down uh, to the southernmost city of New Jersey, Fort Lauderdale, and, uh, and then uh, went from there. And now he is the Associate Rector at St. Francis in the Fields in Louisville, Kentucky, where J.D. Koch is the rector. And so it's a stacked deck. Uh, it's a stacked deck. And you live in the rectory right next to the, how's that? Do people call you and say, I left this at the church, can you send your children to go get it? My children aren't trustworthy, but <laughs> sometimes that's a lock up. Yeah. Well, next, I'm excited to have Nick today. Let's pray and, uh, and then hand it over to him. Uh, Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks uh, for calling Nick uh, to this place. Uh, we pray for he and his family and the ministry of St. Francis in the Fields. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us uh, this day, that you would open our eyes and our ears and plow up our hearts so that the seeds of the gospel might take deep root. In Jesus' name, amen. Can everybody hear me okay through this thing? Is this working? I'm, I'm working on my y'alls. Um, but I've only lived in Louisville for Louisville for a few months. Anyway, this is on. You can hear me all right? I'll just shout. That's what I do. Um, I wanted to talk to you uh, this morning f- about um, winning the Christian life. I, I know that this is what you're all I- interested in, even if you don't know it. Um, I wanted t- to read you one of your favorite scriptures, at least it was one of your f- favorite scriptures when you were in high school. Um, and it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in the 24th verse, and it goes like this. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. Now I'm hoping that that's mailed them. What's going on? Nothing. Just another piece of Cam Winston's mail is found his way in our boxes. Been having on since we switched mailboxes. Even after I gave the postman a stern lecture. Especially after. Cam and I are on all the same mailing list. I'm sure mine is in his box. Besides, it's nothing personal. Look, it's just a pronouncement for some place called La Porte d'Argent. Probably just another frou-frou restaurant or frou-frou clothing store. No, 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 this is not frou-frou, Dad. As evidenced by the manly center balsam. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really upscale clientele. Oh, La Porte d'Argent. Some of the record is talking about this. It's very, very exclusive. Yes. That's all I know. <laughs> An ill-mannered person started up his blow dryer before I was here anymore. Hello. Oh, definitely, definitely. Did I get one of these in the mail today? No, I don't think so. Four in the house. Well, since I got 
Oh, oh they're all worked up over some smelly invitation plays you stole to some place they never heard of. <laughs> yes, but that's what's so intriguing, Dad, that it exists an exclusive place in Seattle that neither of us knows about. Could be an art gallery or a, or a new haberdashery. Or an Italian shoelace routine. <laughs> asking me to enter my six-digit access code. What do I do? Why don't you just punch in whatever keys spell out snotty? <laughs> you know, it might be worth a try. Denied. The allure of the portageon has increased tenfold. <laughs> Go to the university computer lab. Bribe some hungry hacker. And what's it? Tapped into their mainframe, a portacon will offer up her sweet secret like a blushing bride on her wedding night. Why don't you just go down there and ask them what they do? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a plan B. Thank you. Oh, good. I've been waiting for that all morning. 
ready to start. Sounds splendid. Two therapists at once, using hot stones and a blend of essential oils personally created for your dosha. <laughs> you don't have the aromatherapy Swedish shop, Niles. Look at this bounty. Take a risk, be a man. <laughs> a Chardonnay rose hip salt glue. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> Oh, lovely. Right this way. Thank you. Fresh, fresh. River rocks. Found a stock of wheat. <laughs> Status, I suggest to you, is everything. I know that you'll say that you disagree, but I know that you're lying. And we both know it. Where you went to school, where you work, how few people know your cell phone number. These are all things that show how important you are, how many windows your office has, what parties you get invited to. These are some of the most important things in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. We know they're shallow, we would admit that, but we can't help ourselves. There's a scene in the great George Clooney film, Up in the Air, where he meets sort of a mysterious woman in an airport lounge and they start comparing all their frequent traveler stuff, their ID cards, their um, frequent flyer miles. And eventually she's rooting through his wallet and she finds his American Airlines concierge key, which is the key that gets you in that little room in the airport that you've never been allowed in, but you always wonder what happens behind that opaque wall. And you assume everyone's getting massages and uh, free booze, you know, the whole deal. And the woman, when she sees this, is taken aback and she says, that is pretty sexy. And when Clooney then jokes that he hopes it doesn't cheapen their relationship, she says, we're two people who are turned on by elite status. I think cheap is our starting point. Frazier and Niles are the same way, aren't they? They are addicted to elite status, the idea that there's a club that they don't know about. Some group that they're not invited to is uh, too much for them to handle. They'll do anything to get inside, including affecting a ridiculous accent, including you know, lying to the proprietor, doing whatever they can, but the, this is the thing, that everyone is turned on by elite status. It's the human turn-on. We crave it, we seek it, we'll do anything to get it. We, in fact, organize our lives around trying to achieve it. We start thinking about what we want to major in when we're 10. Not because we care about that thing, but we care about what that thing might get us. Uh, we go to the school that will look the best on our resume. In fact, we think long and hard about the paper that we print out our resume on. Uh, I remember this whole thing. I actually went to a seminar. Um, I think it was sort of in the, in the, in the <coughs> fall of my senior year. And it was a s seminar about sort of making yourself appealing to prospective employers. And one of the things that we talked about was paper. What paper should you print your resume on? I know nobody prints a resume anymore, but back in the, you know, the old days, we did that. And I remember one of the things was, don't have a Hotmail address, right? 
That's so like 1992. Right? Do anything but don't have a Hotmail address. I actually just received an email from somebody with, with a Hotmail address the, the other day and immediately couldn't take them serious. <laughs> what are you doing? Anybody can get Gmail now. It's not even that. I, I remember when Gmail was exclusive. I don't know if all of you were aware of this, but I had a friend who sent me the invitation when you could only be invited to use Gmail. It was still like a sort of a proprietary thing, and I felt super cool. This is what we do. We feel, we want to feel super cool, and we'll do whatever we feel like we need to to feel super cool, and we Christianize this idea very easily, right? The sort of elite status of Christianity in the same way that there, there is elite status in the rest of life. Uh, we, we don't desire the same things that those pagans do, right? We don't necessarily want the, or we at least wouldn't admit that we want the corner office with the wall of windows or the 14 people working for us, but we baptize our quests for glory and seek elite Christian status. We want other people to look at us and think, what a good Christian he is. What a prayerful man he is. What a good person. We run the race so that we might win, right? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? This is why this was your favorite verse in high school because you were sort of most turned on by elite status then. You wanted to be the homecoming king or queen or quarterback of the football team or the lead in the high school musical, whatever it was in your school. See, I grew up on the East Coast, but my wife grew up on the West. And where I went to high school, it was the quarterback of the football team and the point guard of the basketball team who were the cool guys. And I think our drama department had to do 12 Angry Men every year because they could only scrape together 12 people <laughs> to be in the play. And I think they always had to say, like, 12 Angry Jurors because it was always, like, nine girls and three guys. Where my wife went to high school on the West Coast, the quarterback of the football team was the lead in the spring musical. And they had tryouts because they would kick people out. You had to try out for the musical more than you did for the football team. This is a w world that I didn't understand. But the key is that there is always that level of status in whatever world that we're in, including the Christian world. You know, one day I'd like to be dean of a cathedral church, you know, <laughs> just, just hypothetically speaking. We imagine that there, there's, there are exclusive clubs for these high-ranking Christians, you know. There's probably a retreat just for the deans, um, maybe even a retreat center that we don't, that, that we don't even know about, you know. Um, but even if we don't make it to that level, even if we know that Dean of a Cathedral is just beyond us, there are other Christian clubs we aspire to, like the three-hour-a-day quiet time club, or the regular volunteers at the soup kitchen club. All of these are just other names for the special Friends of Jesus club. Right? This is the club that we really want to be in. We want to be in that inner circle. We want to be one of the people that Jesus calls on when he needs a favor. We want to be Jesus' phone a friend, right? This is, we want to be in the inner 
circle. And of course, this is a much holier club than the American Airlines Concierge Club. And that means that we can think about it as okay to aspire to. This is the, the kind of thing we have in our heads when we think about winning this race that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. We want to be in this great, exclusive, special Friends of Jesus Club. And so we do our three-hour quiet times. We volunteer at the soup kitchen. And I'm not against any of these things. You should do all of those things. I myself do a six-hour <laughs> quiet time every morning. One day you can aspire to be as special a friend of Jesus as I am. And so, by the sweat of our Christian brow, we eventually feel like we are in the club. But then, something goes terribly wrong. I knew it was going to be good, but I had no idea it would be this good. I feel like I've been rubbed by angels. No, I just wish you had tried the Wasser-Tanzen aqua therapy treatment. I feel as if I've had a rebirthing experience. I've never been better in my life. I'm so polished, my entire body is squeaking. How was everything? Oh, heaven, Nirvana. I'm so glad. Now, this is a breakdown of your services. Ah. famously said that the quest for glory can never be satisfied. Right? There's always a gold door. There's always somebody in a club more exclusive than the club you've just gotten into. And this is the tragedy of life. This is um, the worst thing in the world. To feel as though you've made it only to be confronted by the fact that there are still yet stairs to climb. Um, and it's interesting that immediately the place that we are becomes completely intolerable. 
right? He says, after just having just said, I feel like I've been rubbed by angels, it turns immediately into, how am I supposed to enjoy this? Knowing that this other thing exists, where we are currently, becomes intolerable. This is the proper function of the law, right? In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? The, the law serves to show us where we belong, and it's not in the gold level. And that makes the silver level as good as we thought it was going to be, and as good as we experienced it until we noticed the gold door completely intolerable. The gold door is the law. It's the standard. It's the higher level and it plunges us into the distress of an honest assessment of ourselves. We don't deserve to get into the higher level and there is no word more condemning than that. The idea that there is a place that we actually don't qualify for and this is hard and so we sort of what we do of course is we redouble our efforts we we move from the three-hour quiet time to my five-hour quiet time we move from volunteering three days a week to volunteering seven days a week we move from reading through the scriptures in one year to reading through it two or three times in a year we'll do anything as soon as we see that there is another level we'll do anything to get in remember we're trying to win the race. We don't want to just run. We want to run in such a way that we win. When we realize that 10% of our income to the church is enough, we think maybe 50 will do it. <coughs> Whatever we think of as good, we now have to start thinking of as not good enough. And all of a sudden, our Christian lives seem more and more like work. But maybe we're good at it. And I bet a lot of us in this room are good at it. We're the good Christians after all. We're here uh, on a Sunday morning, not just for church, but also for a, you know, for a lecture by somebody that you've never heard of. That's good Christianity right there. And so eventually, maybe you feel like you, know, you qualify, and as you do, Frazier and Niles do eventually get into the gold level, and that's where we'll pick them up. Oh gosh, when I actually turn down, I really amplified. Gold level. Well, 
It's just paradise. <laughs> and the rare exotic orchids. The trombone sky. And the perfectly bubbled stream. To the... To the what? <coughs> There's a platinum door. visual media. Please remain in the relaxation grotto. Have crueler words ever been spoken? I find this to be a fascinating clip because it puts the lie to the fact that we can opt out of this race. Right? He, set, he, he realizes what's happening. Right? He puts his brother down and says, what are we doing? Why can't we be happy with what we have? This, whatever is through the platinum door, which can only be, he says, incrementally an improvement over what we have now, what are we doing? And he even pledges to stop. He says, I'm through chasing the eternal carrot. And this is what we all say to ourselves every day, right? We're finished with this rat race. This is why I say, well, you know, I, I didn't want to apply to Harvard. You know, I, I, I'm sure I could have gotten in, but I didn't want to apply these are the sorts of things we tell ourselves. I'm through chasing. I'm through trying to get to the next level. I'm finished. I'm going to be satisfied with what I have, satisfied with where I am. And that's when the law comes back in. One more time. I'm sorry, sir. You're not allowed through there. When the implication that I don't deserve the thing that I was pretending to reject comes up, then we have to have it. And this wonderful place that we are, this relaxation grotto, in fact, ceases to become a relaxation grotto. It becomes an intolerable hellhole. Right? Even when we proclaim that we're through chasing this eternal 
carrot. Even when we proclaim that as Christians, aren't we free from the law? We live no longer under the law, we proudly say to one another. And yet, practically speaking, we are bound by it every day. Every decision we make, we might not be printing out resumes anymore, but we're still thinking long and hard about the us that we present to the world. As Chris Rock famously said, when people meet me, they don't really meet me. They meet my representative. You've all heard this, and this is true. You've heard this um, about social media forever. I mean, it's hackneyed at this point that the you that exists on Facebook is the idealized you, right? The you, but forget Facebook, just the you that the person sitting next to you knows is the idealized you. The you that you allow out into the world. You proclaim to the outside that you're through chasing the eternal carrot, but you know that even the relaxation grotto in which you live now isn't good enough. There is for you a platinum door. I don't know what it is. Maybe your closest friends don't know what it is, but probably it exists. And as soon as somebody has the gall to say to you, I'm sorry, sir, you're not allowed through there, then all of your proclamations about being finished go out the window and you make a run for it, just like this. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus enters um, a home, the home of a woman named Martha. and She has a sister, Mary, who sits at Jesus' feet and listens to his teaching. But Martha is distracted, it says, with much serving. And she goes up to Jesus eventually and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, our striving, our quest for glory, our work to get us into that exclusive club, whatever it may be, is actually taking us away from Jesus. 
it's leading us out of the relaxation grotto. And when Frazier hits the sunlight and the door shuts behind him and he exclaims, this is where we belong, he's exactly right. We belong out by the trash. This is where our activity always leads us. This is the continued function of the law, right? As we chase that eternal carrot, the law more and more clearly shows us where we don't deserve to be and ultimately reminds us of where we do deserve to be. Remember Romans 3.20. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. It is by our quest to keep the law that we realize how far short of it we fall. That we realize that we never belonged in the relaxation grotto at all, and next to the dumpster and the bees is our true home. But this is not the final word for us. This is the first word. This is the law. This is the first word of our Lord. But as Fraser and Niles realized too late, the profundity of the gospel, the good news, is that we are in the blessed place already. As Fraser tries to tell Niles, we're in heaven. Why would we want to go anywhere else? Niles, of course, says, we want to get to the real heaven, right? This is only the heaven for people who can't get into the platinum heaven. But Fraser's right. We're in heaven right now. In Romans chapter 9, St. Paul readdresses this race that we talked about at the beginning of our time. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So St. Paul is again talking about this race that everyone is running. And he says something amazing has happened in in this race. The people who weren't trying to win have won. And the people who were striving to win have stumbled and have not even finished. And then he says that Jesus, whoever believes in him, will not be put to shame. That Jesus has been dropped in the middle of this race like a rock. If you can envision sort of the Olympic 100 meters, a rock being dropped in the middle. The Gentiles, who aren't trying to win the race, they go investigate. They go to the rock. Whereas those who are trying to earn their way to the finish line simply stumble over it. Jesus has been dropped into the middle of our race. So the way that we win this race, the race of the Christian life, is to quit trying to get to the finish line and to go to Christ, who has been dropped right into your heart. So how do you win the prize from 1 Corinthians? You run to Christ and avoid trying to get to the finish line completely. 
The gospel promise is that the work is already done. No advancement is necessary. There is no exclusive club. No advancement is even possible. There is no improving on this relaxation grotto. Jesus has lived and died and shed his blood for us. Our sins have been given to him. His righteousness has been given to us. We who were once estranged have been reconciled. It is over. We are called holy and blameless and irreproachable. So let's stop trying so hard and take a minute and enjoy the rare orchids, the the bubbled stream, and the beauty and wonder of a God who promises to be with us no matter where we go. Thank you. I guess we have a minute or two if there are questions, but please, if you ask me something that I don't know, I'm liable to run out the door and down the stairs because I desire to be in that exclusive club of someone who can answer questions. Someone who's not terrified of open Q&A. Okay. But please, ask questions. Please, anything. Oh, I'll start. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Reputation. <laughs> I don't feel the need to respond. Uh, there will be a judgment day. All things will be set to rights. Um, now, I mean, respond. I mean, you, you did respond in a, in a broad sense, Nick, but people who say, I, I want intimacy with God, and therefore, if I want to be close to God, I need to be moving closer <laughs> to Him. And so how do you respond to someone who says, I just, I don't feel God is very near, how do I get close to him? Mm-hmm. To me, um, I think that there is definitely great peace in feeling close. But the truth, I believe, is that it's Jesus' job to be close to you. I um, heard a speaker at a clergy retreat in the Diocese of Newark, I'll add, um, who said that your relationship with Jesus Christ is just like your relationship with anybody else, right? You have to cultivate it and care for it, just like you would a friend. If you ignore a friend and then call on that friend in your hour of need, he may very well say, well, how about you just call to say hi once in a while? You know, why, why do you only call me when you need something? Um, I find that to be incredibly depressing um, and unhopeful. I need my relationship with Jesus Christ to be unlike my relationship with other people, um, and I believe that the uh, witness of scriptures that it is, a sort of classic example of this is um, St. Peter, who denied Jesus three times on uh, the night he was arrested, and then three days later when the women found the tomb empty, the young man who was there had a message for all of the disciples, but specifically for Peter, he specifically mentioned, says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I will be waiting for them in Galilee just as I promised. And this is evidence that even when we break our relationship with our Savior, he 
keeps it. When we are promise breakers, he is a promise keeper. And so all the things that we do to feel close, whether it's prayer or Bible reading or meditation or whatever your practice is um, to help you feel close to your Lord, I would say do, enjoy, but know that God is staying close to you in Jesus. These things can help you feel close, but they're not actually helping you be close. It's Satan whispering in your ear to say, you need to be closer. You're, you, know, you, need to get, you need to do a little something to, to um, cultivate this relationship where when the rubber meets the road, he's not going to be there for you. He's going to say, you know, why didn't you call on me? You only call me when you need something. So the things that we do to feel close are not actually getting us close because he is a God who keeps his promises. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. Um, what we do is to um, help ourselves to feel close, not to be close. Shall we say a prayer? Oh, wait, hand, yeah. Let's all the clergy gang up on <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so good. And I, I'd like to ask something just about that tweet. After you come into that door and you really get the sun, but again you realize you're into the garbage and the bees are just there. <coughs> I mean, what would you say about that? Because I think most of us have been there. You realize, yes, there's no gold. Now in the garden, now. Yeah. I think I'd like to hear something about that. Because they banged on the door. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no way back into the human relaxation grotto. Um, the, The thing that I always think of is that wonderful line from Amazing Grace. I was going to say that amazing line from Amazing Grace, but that's too many amazings. Um, That says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And I've always, that line has always moved me maybe more than any other line in that hymn. Because I think that it's such a sad testament that maybe for us, the grace doesn't seem so precious anymore because the hour we first believed was so long ago. And I think that um, the more we are aware of the dumpsters in our lives, the more precious God's grace appears. And that's sort of, as smelly as it is, that's where I want to live, by the dumpster. I remember um, sort of saying things like this in a, a... hospital chaplaincy setting once and the chaplain said to me gosh you're so depressing and I said that's interesting maybe I'm depressing but I'm not depressed and I think that um, counterintuitively the more I'm aware of my garbage the more I focus on the grace of God and so even though you would think it would be depressing to live by the dumpster that's where I'm most powerfully aware that God comes to the dumpsters, that 
that's where he's at work. That's where, like, gosh, if he's not working there, then where the heck is he working? You know, that's where we need him. And that's where he promises to be, where there is no other hope. You know, the, the, the door back into the relaxation Karada was locked. At this point, we have no hope but to call out for a savior. And um, I'd like to say, and in theory I do, I call out for my savior every day. Because every morning I wake up in the dumpster again. Let's say a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for joining us here in this time. This morning I pray that you would um, whisper in each one of our ears one more time those words that you shouted from the cross. It is finished that you are our Savior, that you have accomplished your redeeming work in us, and that there is nothing we now need to do. I pray that you would remind us as we struggle for recognition and advancement and exclusivity and all the things of this life that we think will save us, that you would come next to us once more and remind us that all the saving has been done and that you are holding us close and will forever. I pray for every one of us here as we leave this place that we would walk in your grace and peace and comfort until we come together again. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.